and welcome to your favourite teacher. I am doing a slightly different feature today because we've done a few podcasts that are looking outside of academics and as great as that is, I know that those exams are coming up and we want to make sure that we've got lots of material covered. So one of the things that we don't have much content for on the podcast so far is the story Frankenstein. I have forced my colleague Sam to learn Frankenstein alongside us. So what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be teaching Sam about Frankenstein and hopefully he will learn all of the important information at the same time that you guys will. How do you feel about that, Sam? Yeah, it sounds sounds fun. I've never learned Frankenstein and don't know the story very well, so uh, it'll be a good experience. Did you enjoy English in school? Um, It wasn't my strongest subject. Um, it's just great to see. So uh, yeah, it'll be good to put me through my paces again. Yeah, I certainly will. And today we're going to look at the context of Frankenstein. Now, you did English up to GCSE, didn't you? But you didn't take it any further. No, I just no. did it up to GCSE. Okay, so you are basically a blank page. <laughs> yeah. As I said, we're going to be looking at the context of Frankenstein and why it's significant to the story. Just so that you're aware, Sam, when I talk about a context in literature what I mean is what was happening at the time that the writer was writing the piece because normally that will will influence the way in which they write something and one of the ways that students get marks in their GCSEs is by being able to talk about how the context has influenced the the story or the play whatever it is Mm. and being able to find examples of that and 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 drawing it back to how it would have um, inspired the writer so context, it looks at the so the time when it was written, but it also is interesting for like modern readers to be able to talk about the context as well and how it might be relevant in today's society. So Frankenstein is a, is a story that I think loads of people have heard of. It's like Romeo and Juliet, we know the iconic love story. And then Frankenstein, we know is... Well, tell me, what do you know about Frankenstein? doesn't matter if it's completely wrong. What's your perception of Frankenstein? So what I know from Frankenstein yeah, is he's the big monster. Right, or, yeah. Well, that's the normal... I've heard that he's not normally the big monster. It's the actual... He, the Frankenstein is the inventor. Yeah. Uh, the creator of the of the monster, really. And um, that's really it, really. I just, okay. know, I just know he's an animated corpse uh, brought back to life by Dr. Frankenstein. Yeah, so, okay, so you kind of put the nail on the head there because loads of people instantly think that Frankenstein mm. is the monster. And I know if you watch things like Hotel Transylvania, I don't know if you've seen that. Have you seen that? <laughs> no, no, seen so, that. like, the character of the Frankenstein's monster is Frankenstein. But actually, he's the creature and he's referred to as the creature in the story or the monster. And Frankenstein was the scientist. Um, and And really, this story looks at science and the way that science um the debate of science that was happening at that point in time and it's really reflective of that so so when was it set in the 1800s um and it was kind of one of these stories that it it was a time period where things were really shifting Mm -hmm. so it was what's called like the gothic era um and like some of the other stories um Jekyll and Hyde for example where they focus on this idea of discovery and maybe the darker side of discovery when she wrote this there were some expeditions that had just been set out so people were really starting to like explore to discover new things and they didn't just 
Um, they didn't just believe necessarily what they'd been told by religion. So that was one of the things that was being questioned yeah. at this time. So it was a breakaway from a religion kind of time. Yeah, sort of. Like, well, religion is um, very represented in the story as well, and different things in particular, like the creation story. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, Adam and Eve being created. Um, there's some parallels there that we look at. But yeah, definitely the the impact of scientific discovery and the darker side of scientific discovery is one of those main things that we see for the context. So there's a few things that we need to bear in mind when we look at the context of Frankenstein, um, and that's the scientific developments. It's romanticism. Now, I'm going to tell you what that term is in a second. Yeah, um, the impact of religion and the gothic genre. So when you think of a goth, I mean, I remember in school, a goth was somebody who had black eyeliner. Yeah, pale skin. Yeah, exactly. Listened to Marilyn Manson. (laughs) But that all stems from something from the gothic genre. And um, that was a big movement in literature, which Mm. kind of was very, very spooky, but only because it was related to things that were unknown and things that could go wrong. Um, And Frankenstein is like a perfect example of a gothic horror. We have similar things nowadays where we might have stories about when robots are going to take over the world Mm. and we've basically caused our own downfall because of our developments. That's sort of like what Frankenstein is like, only it was 200 years ago, but that by pushing the boundaries of science too far, you're going to fall foul and and create something dangerous and and something destructive so that's sort of what this looks at it's not only strange to have such a successful female writer at that time but also the subject matter isn't normally associated with female writers so when we think of women in literature we might think of romance or like um you know, dramas and things like that. Um, you know, we think of like the Bronte sisters and, and other big figures. It's always been traditional that like maths and science is a very male dominated area. And then you've got uh, this female writer writing about in this gothic style. So that on its own was quite, um, quite new and quite significant. But anyway, Shelley was, she was inspired, I think, by... Uh, a scientist called Luigi Galvani and he basically at this time well prior to when she was writing this had started trying to make dead frogs muscles move yeah so you know how like if you think of an electrical current um, and it could it could make something like jump say or like move around or twitch because like a, a muscle in the same way that a muscle would receive a signal from the brain yeah, it kind of they've basically found a way to replicate that with electricity. So this idea of um, like reanimation is huge in the, the story. Book, yeah. yeah, because it, it's it doesn't say explicitly that Frankenstein uses electricity, but he says things like spark of being into a lifeless thing, which so the image is always um, of like a light, yeah, yeah, like kind of lightning bolts as he attaches electrical rods to the dead body. Um, but yeah, that was really based on actual experiments that were happening at the time. Um, and whilst that might seem um, it certainly is strange for us as a modern audience. I mean, think about how they would have reacted in 1803 when, you know, that seems almost, you know, playing God. It's like, yeah, it, it goes against... Yeah, religious time at the, at the yeah, 1800s. 
especially yeah. the early, early periods of the 1800s. Yeah, definitely. So this is, and it was considered very blasphemous to be talking and to be practicing things like this. It was almost like devilish. Mm. Um, so that was one of the things that really inspired her. And, you know, we see sparks and lightning um, being repeated in the story. And that's quite symbolic, I think, for knowledge. So, you know, if you think, oh, I've got, I've had a brainwave or, you know, if someone's doing an animation and you have a light bulb go on, it's like a light bulb moment is where you think of something new. So this could all be signifying the new developments in science um, and, and in culture and that she's perhaps warning people against. That might be reading too much into it, but that's what English teachers do. So some more context, really are the explorers. There was a polar expedition to the Arctic and actually there's lots of points of the story that are set in the Arctic and so that really would have engaged readers at the time who might be um, reading things in newspapers about similar types of discovery and similar ventures and then we've got what happens out there, you know, it being brought to life in this story. So um, Mary Shelley was actually married to another writer. Um, I can never say his name, but I'm going to attempt it. Percy B. Shelley. And he wrote Ozymandias, which is one of the poems that sometimes... The, I've, heard, I've heard that poem before. Yeah, it's a, it's a poem that um, some students may also study. But I think they were part of a group of people um, that were called um, the Romantics. And this Romantic era was made of people in art and literature who had a slightly different way of looking at the world. And so her husband and his good friend, Lord Byron, who's another famous writer, they were discussing whether a corpse could be reanimated. And Mary Shelley overheard this conversation and that's what gave her the idea for Frankenstein. Romanticism then is a movement that is about the power of nature and, like its name, to do with love and and imagination. People focused on their sceneries and things like that. So in Frankenstein, we can see that it's a, a romantic text, not because we've got characters that fall in love, but because of the power of nature and the way in which nature's described. So we've got some examples of how it's reflected um, in the icy descriptions of the land. One of the characters is exploring and um, where the monster eventually retreats. And this kind of icy Arctic scenery really represents loneliness Mm. um, and feeling lost. Things like that are all being represented through the scenery. Um, So when Frankenstein visits the Alps, we can see the power of nature. Clerval, another character, um, feels, this is a quote here, a happiness seldom tasted by man when he travels down the river. And then we've got our, our main character, the scientist, Victor Frankenstein. He's a romantic character because of the fact that he represents imagination and um, innovation. And really, that's what romanticism covers. It's new ways of thinking, in particular, creativity um, and looking at power that's, that's all around us in nature. All of these things were tied together with human discovery. So there's there's obviously a move um, as we discover new things in science. There's an appreciation of nature. And all of these things t- tended to influence pieces of writing. Okay. 
So what else can we talk about? So, oh, another thing that's quite interesting, actually, and I find this interesting because I um, I love philosophy, but there's this idea which comes throughout Frankenstein, um, which is based on something called the noble savage theory. Right. And this is the idea that... Do, imagine the nature versus nurture debate, okay? Mm-hmm. So you've got someone that's been born and it's not had any other influences. Um, this chap, uh, Rousseau, who's a philosopher, he basically says that as individuals, when we are born, we are good. Um, but society and other, and other external influences are what corrupt us. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. So it's an idea, really, that naivety and ignorance might keep us more noble. Right. So, kind of the, yeah, as you said, ignorance, ignorance to the unknown of society is what keeps us kind of good uh, in our path. Essentially, when we link it to Frankenstein, the creature, it's only society that corrupts him. Okay. So, is the creature inherently good? I don't know that it's inherently good. I guess that's what Rousseau is sort of arguing, that, that people are inherently good and that it's only violence against us that, that make us mm. act badly. And that's certainly still an argument that people have, that we would all be absolutely fine if, if no one else had done things to hurt us. I don't know how much of that is true. Mm. Um, but yeah, there's certainly the implication that the creature would not have had to turn out to be a murdering monster no. he could have if he'd been like unaffected by his surroundings and he hadn't had cruelty and abandonment from um victor so victor frankenstein essentially makes this creature then takes one look at him and is like Ugh, you're abhorrent you're a monstrosity and it's you know it's not really imagine your mother said that to you the moment you were born which is a similar thing it's been created yeah. this creation and so this is quite a significant thing. It's quite a clever thing to talk about in your exam, the idea of the noble savage and whether Shelley is maybe pushing across... Because there is an element of sympathy for the, for the character of the monster. Yeah, um, I've heard that throughout. I've heard that when people discuss Frankenstein, that a lot of people say that it wasn't the monster's fault. Yeah. And they kind of almost try to make excuses for the actions he does. Yeah, and well, that is, that is basically it. It's you... You, you look at the... I mean, I'll talk you through the plot in another podcast, but essentially, spoiler, you've got this monster that kills people and it's terrifying. And you, you mm. think of, like, your your Halloween films and your spooky films and you have these weird things that go around killing people and you don't tend to naturally feel sympathy for the the creature that's causing all of this harm. But because of the way that it's written... And we see the loneliness and isolation that he feels. We do have sympathy yeah, for the you creature. Just can't help it. You just can't help. Yeah, um, and it's tough because it makes us look at our own society. And I mean, this is getting slightly off on a tangent. But when we look at crime and we look at arguments like capital punishment and whether someone should die for their monstrous deeds, and we trace back these people you know to to their roots and more often than not there have been some pretty awful things that have shaped Mm. them and not made them do it but certainly had these really negative influences on them that have made it more likely that they are like they've almost been predetermined to commit awful deeds 
so that's something to consider as well. It's it's called um, it's Rousseau is a philosopher, and it's called his noble savage theory, talking about the context and the influences um, that that Mary Shelley might have had. Um, this is definitely one that's that's worth a mention. One of the other things that we mentioned and and is worth talking about is the influence that religion would have had. Um, And we can do a separate podcast looking at this properly, but context and the religion of the time do go hand in hand. As I said, it was a time where people are starting to maybe question religion, certainly are slightly less afraid to to think about their creation it wasn't such a social faux pas that people couldn't sit around and have these discussions you know and this was something that would have happened they would have sat around the fire and had intellectual debates Mm. um discussing all of these different ideas one of the things that really influences the story then is the book of genesis from the bible which is Adam and Eve who've been created by God and they meet a snake who tempts them to take an apple and that corrupts them and it corrupts humanity that's the sort of long and short of it Um, and actually if we link that to the noble savage theory that we just discussed we can see how that ties in quite nicely because if Adam and Eve had never met the snake they would have continued to live in blissful ignorance they would never have done anything to cause the the angry punishment of god so we've got the snake and that temptation of the apple as similar to society corrupting us okay so it's like an extended metaphor the creature reads a poem uh, by john milton called paradise lost and the poem is based on genesis And the poem is um, essentially all about the devil and um, it's quite quite scary. I remember learning it at university and it's like, you know, all of the different levels of hell and all of these things. And the creature's reading it and saying that he himself must be Satan uh, because he knows that he's a monster and he knows that he's an outcast. On the title page of the first edition of Frankenstein, there are three of Adam's lines from Paradise Lost in which he questions God for creating him. And it says, Did I request thee, maker from my clay, to mould me man? Did I solicit thee from darkness to promote me? And really, what that means um, is perhaps this question of, I didn't ask to be born, I didn't ask to be made, I can't be blamed for my actions. And it like removes the responsibility. So I definitely think Paradise Lost is hugely significant. And as Paradise Lost is based on um, on Genesis, again, we can see the undertones of religion all the way through. So the monster compares himself to Adam. He complains that Adam was guarded by the especial care of his creator because Adam and God, the relationship between Adam and God... Um, is one still of care, whereas the relationship between Frankenstein and the monster is complete abandonment. Frankenstein basically washes his hands of him and just says, oh, I've created a monster, like, ah, what should I do? Yeah, it's an interesting thing to look at. So I definitely would say that if you are trying to get a higher level understanding of the context of Frankenstein, you want to look at galvanism, as I said, which was the experiments with the 
frogs coming to life. You want to look at the Romantic era and you want to look at religion and how that has influenced things. And if you if you can pick out some key things in the text where you can see where these different bits of context have influenced it, then you're going to get much higher marks in your exams. Okay? Okay. Okay, I'm, I've entered you for the GCSE this summer, yeah. so good luck. Yeah, I'll need it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you.